Alright. Yep. It's that time again, folks. Another episode from HR Talk. This is Ricky Baez coming to you live from the A1A Beachfront Studios in beautiful Central Florida, sunny and steamy Florida. Let's just kill that music. Let's just go ahead and jump right into it, folks. There's a lot happening. I know um, we just had the last episode with Lorena Pavon where we talked about HR, recruiting, and what happens when, as a consultant, nobody takes your advice. Um, it's But now, what I want to just take a deep dive into, this is something that I've been talking to my clients now for about six months now. Yeah, I want to say six months. And every time when the idea of employee engagement comes up or when the idea of employer retention comes up, people like to throw a lot of things to the wall. I mean, we just had Disrupt HR Orlando 14.0 this past week. Uh, actually, yeah, last week we had it on, on the 3rd of August. And, you know, um, Janine Crocky, she was talking about how employers need to Think bigger about what kind of rewards and recognition you should give to your employees. You know, these days, a pizza party, folks, is just not going to cut it anymore. I don't know why. I mean, it, look, it's a great gesture. I'm not saying that um, that a pizza party is not appreciated. But when a pizza party takes the place of a legitimate compensation process or a legitimate compensation structure, it's, you know, it makes employees feel some kind of way. So anyway, that's another episode. What I really want to talk about today is a benefit that, yes, you can give the employees this particular benefit and you would have to structure how the organization overall sees this benefit and how they're able to fund it. We're talking about the four day work week. And, you know, this is something that I've been talking about for years now. Even before it was big, I've always liked the idea, and I called it something different back then. I called it a compressed work week, and I quickly realized that that's not the right term for it. And, you know, before I before I go in any deeper into it, let's get our, our guest up. His name is Jordan George. He and I go way back, right? And, and, and right now, Jordan, he is the VP, the principal VP and head of client solutions at a company called Curium Solutions. And this is something that he does talk about with his clients about the four-day work week. So, so before I bore you to death with it, ladies and gentlemen, Jordan George. The man, how are you today, my friend? Ricky, it is a pleasure to be here. I'm doing good, man. How are you? I am melting. This has been an insane month for yeah. the world, actually. I don't know if you saw that, that it has been the hottest month on record for the world. I never thought that was a thing. So I think I think we just take it for granted being in Florida that we're always melting and it's always hot, you know, <laughs> especially this time of year. But I did see that there was a heat index of like 108 over in Sanford, not too far away from us. Oh wow! Like like the week of July fourth, and I was like, yeah, that's. I'm just not going to go outside for a while. I think I don't think anybody is. <laughs> right? I don't think anybody is, and you know, and I don't know if it's my age, Jordan, or is the world really getting hotter? Look, look, I'm not going to debate about global warming or look. All I know is that I take a shower, I dry myself, I walk outside, I'm completely soaked again. It's insane. Yeah, you, need, you need another shower. I, I yeah. do, no, nature got me one, right? <laughs> and it's not only that nature got me one. 
on the dot, when I have to travel somewhere, go out of the house, it rains, it thunders and rains on the dot around traffic hour, uh, around traffic time, right? And shortly, because what, the rainstorms last in Florida here, what, five and a half minutes, yeah. right? After yeah. everything is wet and steamy, the sun comes out, and I think I saw a meme the other day that Florida, Florida summer weather is you get soaked, and then shortly after, the sun comes out to steam you like a bag of crab legs, <laughs> <laughs> which is true. Yeah, so. yeah. And so, and so with that, our sponsor for today is the Florida Tourism Board. <laughs> Yeah, you want to lose weight in a big sauna? Come on down here. Come on down here. No, but look, we do have a reason for connecting today. It's not just because you and I know each other. We've known each other for a while. But you right now, with the company you work for, you are on this initiative that I love. And this initiative that I don't want to say you keep pushing because by me saying you keep pushing, it sounds like you have opposition. Well, you know what? I'm sure you do have opposition for the four-day work week. So that's what I wanted to talk about because I share your enthusiasm with this. I have had some conversations with some clients, but I've had some frequently asked questions that I want to share with you because I wanted to see how you would answer them. Um, so the four-day work week, for the people who don't know what that is, why don't you give them a quick synopsis? Yeah, sure. So the four-day work week is it's, – it's been in the media. If you're listening to this and, and you're keeping up with anything on LinkedIn or in the news – You've probably at least heard about it. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about it, which is why I'm really excited to talk through it today with you, Ricky. Um, but it's essentially the idea that we are going from the five-day, 40-hour work week that we all know and love to hate to <laughs> a four-day, 32-hour work week, right? So essentially, we're, we're, we're getting rid of an entire eight hours a week. Mm. Um, in the effort to improve the quality of our employees' lives, to improve productivity, to improve company performance. There's so many benefits out there for this, which is why, as you said, I continue to talk about it and I continue to share about it because it is something that I, I believe really strongly in. I think it has a lot of opportunity, not just to improve employees' lives, but to improve business performance and that is still largely misunderstood. Um, so hence why I keep talking about it. <laughs> and, you know, and, and for everybody listening right now, let me see if I can guess how they're reacting to what you just said there, Jordan. So from an employee's perspective, wow, I get to work four days a week, which I used to do, by the way, at the, uh, at the school board. So at the school board, whenever we had in, here in, in Orange County, I was the senior employee relations manager for them. And during the school year, regular schedule, Monday to Friday, 8 to 5, during the summer break, it was four tenths, Monday to Thursday, 8 to 10 hours a day. So from an employee's perspective, yay, I get a three-day weekend, but from a work perspective from an employee's perspective if that even makes sense like wait a minute so now i have to still do my 40 hours a week just compress but that's not what you said you mm -hmm. said you want to be able to achieve the same amount of work in eight hours less in a week than what we're currently doing it right now for the cfos listening they're freaking out on you right now there uh jordan so what do you tell the cfos they're like wait wait we're paying for talent in exchange for 40 hours in a week, what do you say to them? So I think first, this is a really important point and, and one I want to get up out front of is this is why it's important to define what we mean when we talk about a shorter work week. 
Okay. So four day week is kind of the the phrase and the term that, that gets thrown out the most in the media. It's definitely the most prevalent or the most popular adoption of a shorter work week, but it's not the only way to adopt a shorter work week. Um, and so when we talk about it within within our company and with potential clients, is we talk about it in terms of work time reduction, right? That's that's the ultimate goal is genuine work time reduction not work time compression, which is what you're talking about, taking 40 hours of work and cramming it into four days, right? Four 10-hour days or, or whatever, you know, amalgamation. That was horrible, by like. the way. It was, it was horrible. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's rough, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and on surface, it's like, oh, well, that's, that's cool because we can give people an extra day back and we still get just as much work out of them. But the reality, as anyone who's ever worked 10-hour days back to back to back on an ongoing basis – as the as the kind of the the fundamental and standard way that they work and operate, that's exhausting. That's yeah. a really long day, and so the entire premise of a shorter work week is predicated on this idea that employees perform better when they're rested. Well, you're not mm. rested if you're working ten hour days every single day. So work time reduction is about saying how do we get this same productivity, the same performance the same or better sales results, you know, what, whatever it is that we measure as an organization that drives our performance metrics, how do we get the same or better, but do it in less time? That's, that's the value proposition. So how do we get the same or better results, but do it in less time? You hire 10 more people. Sure. That's, an option. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't I don't think that's the option the most businesses want to pursue. Okay. You know, right now we're seeing kind of the opposite. We're we're in this giant pendulum swing of there's mass hirings and then mass firings. We're you know we're we're, we're definitely in the downslope of that right now where we're seeing uh, great talent in the labor market because of layoffs. Mm-hmm. So my my kind of pushback on that is okay, before we go and fire everybody and we waste all that time and effort and energy and money that we've invested in trying to search, recruit, hire, train, develop, and enculturate those people into the organization. Let's stop and ask the question first of, are we leveraging our resources to the, the best of our ability, mm. right? Have, have we really optimized our performance and productivity? And can we cut waste within the way that we work before we cut employees out of the organization as if they are the waste, right? Let, let's look at how we reduce the waste in the work that we do instead okay. of cutting the employees out of the organization. So that's that's one conversation that I would have with CFOs that are curious. The second part of that conversation is if I can guarantee you that your performance does not fail, right? Your, your whatever it is, again, whatever metric you care about or metrics you care about, impl- um, customer satisfaction, sales numbers, productivity, you know, number of units produced, wh- whatever it is, if I can guarantee you that stays the same or gets better, what's your concern? Like, like what's, what's the, what's the downside of potentially just exploring this as an option, right? Now you might try it and you, you say, eh, you know, not for us, that's fine. We always talk about this in terms of a pilot. Pilot this, try it, test it, put it through its paces, give it six months and see if it gets you the results that we're saying that it can get you. And if it mm. does, then you can renew the pilot or you can continue on that path <laughs> as, <I> like that. <laughs> as the majority <laughs> like that. of organizations have, yeah. right? If not, 
if it doesn't work or you don't like it, then just go back to doing back what you're to doing square one. <laughs> and, Got it. And, and the potential benefit is still that through that process, you've found ways to improve productivity. So even if you go back to doing what you're doing today, you'll still have benefited from the investment and time of looking at how we can re-engineer our work to be more effective and more productive. I think, I think that takes me to the biggest misconception around a four-day week or around a shorter work week, which is that we're just lopping off a day, right? Mm-hmm. Company hears about it. Oh, this is great. This is awesome. Our employees are going to love this. Let's just get rid of Fridays. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. But you are much more likely to fail if that's your approach than if you stop and say, let's be really intentional about re-engineering the way that we work, right? Let's get really intentional about ensuring that we're working in the right ways on the right things for the right amount of time and see if we can naturally, holistically reshape the way that we operate. And the byproduct of that is we're able to get the same or more work done in less time, right? Totally different conversation yeah. than, oh, let's just get rid of Fridays. Right? <laughs> Everyone gets a three-day weekend. Cool. Awesome. Let's go. So I like that because the conversations I've had with my clients and the conversations with my clients go just like this. Hey, have you thought about the four-day work week? Because when they bring up a concern about being inefficient and how people leave because other organizations give them more flexibility, and the first thing they say, so what are you talking about? Just cutting out a day? I'm like, No. I'm not saying you cut out a day. You re-engineered people's schedules from five to four in a way that makes sense, right? So that doesn't mean that everybody has Friday off. It means that everybody has a four-day week and a three-day weekend. It just mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to be on a Friday. You just mm-hmm. have to staff up for it and make sure you've got the proper staffing to make sure you the the four-day comp- not compress the four-day work week does not affect productivity. Mm-hmm. Now, something you said, uh, not that it startled me, but it, 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 it took me back to a conversation that I had. So at the beginning of the day, I had a conversation with the client. They're like, ah, oh, God, I don't know, blah, 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 blah. Later on that week, he asked, hey, want to go to dinner? We went to dinner. Have you been to Chroma? No. You need mm-hmm. to go to Chroma. Chroma, uh, it's a Chroma Modern Kitchen over in Lake Nona. Let me tell you, it's an amazing, amazing spot for great drinks, talking with clients. They're not paying for this, but I'm just, I'm going to send them a bill. <laughs> I'm going to send them a bill. So we went to have drinks and he confided in me. I tell you what, drinking <laughs> with clients, you learn a lot. You learn a lot. And he's like, look, Rick, it's, I don't know if it's, I don't want to put my company through this. I don't know if it's that. As much as it is, I don't want to see how inefficient I've been. Mm. So he was really honest with me that he's more afraid to see how much money he's losing with inefficiencies. Now, I understand where he's coming from. It's one of those, you know, it, it's, 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 you got your, your, your blinders on because mm. you know there's an issue. You know you're spending more than what you should, but you're afraid to know about it. You're okay with the speculation stage. What do you say to that? How much more afraid are you going to be when you look back five years from there now? There you go. <laughs> there <laughs> you, you think, go. And you think to yourself, oh, man, I could have handled this way back then, and I just continued to ignore it. I mean, yeah. th- th- this is this is the reality, right? And so 
for everybody who's listening and who thinks, okay, well, how do you just work better? Or, or how do we how do we just take forty hours of, of productivity and get it down into thirty two? How do we just cut out eight hours of our week and still be just as productive? Let me let me give you this scenario, right? And you can play along at home as you're listening, Ricky. You you have I'm your own business. Along. Yeah, you have your own business now, yeah. right? And, and and so I'm sure you have your own inefficiencies, but that's not what's on trial today, okay? Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not put, I'm not putting you on trial. <laughs> Got it. But, right. but I want you, I want you to think back to the corporate jobs you've had over the course of your career, okay? I, I want you to think back to just an average week, not not a super busy week, not a super slow week, just an average week in your average corporate job. Mm-hmm. Ricky, how many hours a week? would you say that you spent in meetings that either didn't need to happen in the first place or that you didn't need to be there in that meeting? I think just, just if, give me a rough number. A I rough think number. if I was to cut out all the hours I spent on unnecessary meetings, I would be considered a part-time employee. <laughs> <laughs> I th- honestly, about 15 hours. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. About 15 hours. Yeah. So that's consistent with the types of numbers that we hear when we actually take organizations through this process, mm-hmm. through through the actual act of looking for ways that we can reduce inefficiencies and improve productivity. So a lot of people say somewhere between 10 and 20 hours a week just wasted in meetings right off the bat. But let's let's assume that that's really, <sighs> really generous. Yeah. Right. Let's say that that's like that's an overestimation. So let's just say five hours. Right. Let's just say five. I think probably everybody who's listening that's in a corporate job could acknowledge that they probably spend about five hours a week more in meetings than they need to at minimum. Yep. At minimum. Yep. Right. Ricky, how many hours a week did you spend fixing problems that somebody oh, else God. caused? <laughs> Okay, right. I, I want to say another 20 hours, <laughs> to be honest. I think that should be my job title. That, that should have been HR director slash problem solver, the equalizer. Yeah. It should be a movie yeah. based on me. So so your job description had two bullet points. It, it said, spend time in meetings that you don't need to be in and fix other people's problems. Right. That was the that was one and two, right? That's right. So, so, right. So, but seriously, right? So think about that. How much time do you spend fixing mistakes that somebody else made, either because they weren't trained properly or they didn't follow the procedure mm. or, you know, the system wasn't working properly, you know, what, whatever, whatever it is, right? Ricky, how many hours did you spend fighting with technology that didn't work <laughs> the way that it was supposed to, right? So, so either it wasn't implemented properly, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, rolled out properly, people weren't educated on how to I'm use it I'm already in properly. overtime. I'm already in overtime, right? With the amount of right. hours in my week. <laughs> right. Right. So, so I'll just stop there, yeah. right? There's probably like 17 more things we could look at and analyze. But let me just talking about those three things meetings that you don't need to be in or shouldn't exist in the first place, uh, systems that aren't working properly, mm-hmm. right? Or having to fix problems that somebody else caused by doing something inappropriately or incorrectly, right? If you can add up in a week the amount of time that you spend on that and it gets you close to or around seven to eight hours, that's right there where you cut wow. it out and you've just saved yourself an entire day. Wow. And and this is this is the argument. This is this is this is the argument that I have for organizations that go, I just don't know how we would possibly do that. You know, we we are not even meeting the numbers or the sales performance that we want today. How are we going to do even better in less time? I just don't get that, Jordan. And my answer is that a shorter work week is already here. It's just buried under 
all of this other stuff. It's buried under inefficient meetings. It's buried under technology that isn't working properly. It's buried under uh, inefficient processes that and workflows that keep us from being able to perform at our best. And you know who knows what all of those broken processes are? Do you know who in your organization can pinpoint exactly where all of those broken issues and 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 processes and workflows are? Give you one guess, Ricky. What level of the organization knows that? It's the bottom of the barrel, the frontline employee who's always complaining, like, I have to spend five hours on this again. Right? Yeah. That person. Yeah, that person. exactly. Yep. It's it's the person that every morning when they go to log into their computer, it takes their computer 20 minutes to boot up, <laughs> Yep. right? 20 minutes wasted every single day, five days a week. You've already got an hour and a half right there, wow. right? Okay. So it's it, you're exactly right. It's the frontline employees. It's your people that are in the weeds doing the work every single day that if you just stop long enough to go to them and ask them, hey, how can I make your job easier? How can we improve the efficiency with which you work? How can we improve some of our processes and workflows? Where are you spending the majority of your time that you feel like is just a total waste of time, right? You go to them and you ask them, they will have the answers. And this is the entire selling point, or to me, behind a shorter work week is it's not a top-down decision. It's, it's, It's supported at the top, but all of the solutions come from the people who are doing the work. It comes from the bottom up. And so if you go to those employees and you say, hey, I want you to tell me all of the different ways that we are wasting your time at work, that we are being inefficient, so that I can pile on more work in its place. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. You're, you're, right, you're, right, right on, boss. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll get right on it. <laughs> I'll get right on that. Right? You're going to get crickets. People yep. are going to just stare at you, right? Yep. But if you go to them and say, hey, Ricky, I want you and your team, your peers, the people that you work with every day, to identify all the ways that we could be operating more efficiently, all the ways that we're wasting your time, all the things that you get frustrated with, with throughout your workday that get in the way of you being able to do the high quality level of work that I know that you care about doing and providing the high quality experience that I know that you care about giving. And if you can do that, if you can help me do that, then I will gift you back that time. That oh. time becomes your time. Now, do you think you're still getting crickets? Oh, absolutely not. You're going to get a lot of motivation there. It's a it's a huge motivator. Yeah. It's a huge motivator for them to be able to say, okay, even if you've never thought about it before, oh, okay, now now there's something in it for me. And I'm and I'm not just going to get more work piled on, right? Because <laughs> because that's that's always the 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 counter question that I get from from executives is okay, well, if we can be just as productive in 32 hours as we can in 40, that means I've got eight extra hours of work that's I can That's how they look at it. Before, that's right? how they look at it, yep. I've I've heard that exact message from people before. Well, if I could find eight extra hours, I'd just work eight more hours in the week. But here's the problem. If you're a business owner or an entrepreneur, right, how you choose to use your time to build your business is up to you. Mm -hmm. But when you're asking other people, employees, to build your business for you, there has to be something in it for them. There you go. Right? 
And the way that you can do that is to say, look, maybe if I had an extra eight hours in the week, I'd use it to reinvest back in my business. That's fine. That's on you. But to ask my employees to do the same when it's not their business, that's just unrealistic, right? So let me help them help themselves and help me in return by saying, look, if you can find ways to improve our efficiencies and improve productivity, I'll gift you back that time. That time becomes yours. Huge motivator. And there's incentive for them to continue looking for things that can make the business perform better beyond the initial pilot, because they know that the more efficient they can become, the more likely it is that they will get to continue in this shorter work week over the long period of time. That's why when we've done these pilots, when we've seen these conducted across the globe, thousands of companies, right? All over the world, every possible industry that you can imagine, there is over a 90% adoption rate. People keep it and they stick with it because they see the benefit. Here's, Here's one, right? The most recent trial in the US, largest ever trial in the US, 32 participating companies, about a thousand employees across North America, 100% are sticking with it beyond the trial period wow. because they've seen the data, they've seen the results, they've seen the improvements. And even if we look at all the trials together, like I said, that number is over 90%. Yeah. The ones that fall off are typically the ones where either the organization wasn't ready for it yet. Or they took the work time compression approach instead of the work time reduction approach, right? I'm sorry, real quick. Talk to me about real quick uh, because what 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 really stands out to me now. I get the ones who took the work the work compression approach. Yeah, the ones that are not ready. How are they not ready? In what way? So I, I they're not the same thing, but I draw a lot of equivalencies between work time reduction and and hybrid or remote work, right? A lot of companies adopted a work-from-home policy or remote work strategy during COVID because they had to. Not because they were ready Uh, to, but because they had to. And then what did we see as the fallout of that? Oh, this doesn't work. My employees are slacking off. They're not – I'm going to go purchase a software to monitor them because I don't trust them, right? So would you say that they've successfully adopted a remote work strategy or that they just – I mean, re- reactively, yes, they, right. they, they've adopted it because they, they're backed were against the wall and, and that's a byproduct, not necessarily the initiative. Right. Okay. So, so for me, one of the underlying or kind of underpinning requirements of a successful remote work strategy is that you need to trust your people. And if you're not at a place where you can trust that they're getting the work done, and if you're not at a place where you've clearly defined what good performance looks like, you're probably not ready to go all in on a remote work strategy, right? So that's what I mean when I talk about being ready for it. Similar kind of concept applies to work time reduction. If you're not at a place where you've clearly defined what good performance looks like, if you're not at a place where you're ready to turn the mirror towards yourself and say, what could we be doing better? Mm -hmm. I recognize that we have inefficiencies. I'm aware of that. I'm okay with that. I want to get better at it. Help me get there. If you're not ready to empower your employees to find those inefficiencies and make recommendations to improve it, then you're not ready for work Got time it. reduction. That right? makes perfect sense. It, it goes back to that conversation yeah. you, you were saying you had with the you, with the client earlier, right? Oh, I'm not ready to I'm not ready to admit that. Okay, then you're not ready for this. Then, yeah. right? Yeah. You, you you've got to be you've got to be willing 
to accept the reality that every business, every business could be doing something better. Right. That's just that's just that's just the reality. No one, no, I, I would argue there's no business out there that has perfectly buttoned up every single process, every single work door that is that is operating at optimal efficiency to the point that they can have zero room for improvement. I don't think that's reality. Yeah. And if if you're in the mindset that that's true for your organization, then it's going to be really hard for you to make any progress with it because you think you're already perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> right? <laughs> that, that's true. And it, so, and now that you're saying that I'm thinking of any organism, I'm, I'm trying to find uh, an example to prove you're wrong. And I can't, I can't because you're right. Every organization can find something to improve on. Now let's, I want to make a big, a big, huge distinction here. Finding a way for your business to be more efficient is very different than cutting corners. We're not mm-hmm. saying cut corners. We're saying is maintain your level of, of, of quality. Maintain your standards. Just find a more efficient way to keep those standards. That's what you're saying, correct? Exactly. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because, yeah, because look, what you and I do, Jordan, like if you and I make a mistake, the worst that can happen is, all right, maybe an initiative doesn't launch, somebody doesn't get paid. All right, fine, boo-hoo, whatever. But some organizations, if they make a mistake, people die. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, is there a way for those situations, like, for example, not necessarily the military, but the police department, the mm-hmm. uh, the uh, fire department? I mean, it, it, it's you got to be careful there, right? Because you want to make sure that you don't encourage people to cut corners and that people get hurt. Correct. Right. So this is all, again, underpinned with this idea that performance has to stay the same. Productivity has to stay the same. Quality stays the same, right? So that that, that gets to the last point of what you're talking about. The quality has to stay the same. Yeah. We're, we're, not, we're not about cutting corners and giving our customers a, an inferior experience. And in the case of some of those organizations that you're talking about, you know, the police, the firefighters, hospitals, right? Our customers are our neighbors they're right these are the people in the communities that we that we live in you know that we support so they are our customers and we don't want to give them an inferior experience and this is where another big misconception comes in that a four-day week means that we just shut down the business for a whole day and in some organizations that works i i'm familiar with several creative agencies uh, consulting firms, legal firms that have decided, hey, you know what's best for us is if we completely shut down operations on the same day so that we can all rest and recharge together and nobody feels like they're out of the loop yeah. on what happened that day, right? It does work for some organizations. It doesn't work for all organizations, yeah. which is why it's important to carefully build a strategy around this that's right for your business. So for some businesses, picking one day works. For other businesses, it's about rotating shifts so that there's always coverage, but that like you, I think you mentioned this earlier, everybody individually is only working four days, right? But the business is still open five days or six days or seven days, whatever it needs. That's the thing is this even works in retail, right? And, and for anybody who thinks, well, there's no way that we could close a business for an entire week and still be just as successful, I'm going to point you to the South's favorite fried chicken sandwich, Chick-fil-A. Oh, man. I thought right. you took me back to Popeye's versus Chick-fil-A. So you almost got me in trouble here. <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Now, now, 
I'm I'm not this is this is not commentary on anything about Chick-fil-A other than that in a market, right? In, in an industry where it's typical to work 7 days a week, sometimes to work 24 hours, right? Yeah. In the fast food industry, Chick-fil-A has managed to be as successful or more successful than all of their opponents and they're closed every Sunday. That is right? true. <laughs> so Again, it's it's not about saying, you know, oh, that's not possible. It's saying, how do we make it possible? How do we get there? What barriers do we need to remove? What what assumptions do we need to push aside? What sorts of things need to happen to help us be a leader in our industry that can be successful doing things in a way that's not typical for our industry? And that's why we see, you know, great adoption with companies that see themselves as disruptors that see themselves as early adopters who are willing to take an educated, uh, well thought out risk and try something new and pilot this and give it a shot. Whereas other organizations that are more traditional, more, um, you know, fiscally conservative, you know, uh, not quite okay with being the first in line to adopt something, they're more hesitant. They're more reserved. They're more concerned about, you know, what does this mean? What is this going to look like? But I would argue that even in those organizations or even in larger organizations where you start to think about, you know, economies of scale and, oh my gosh, how would we do this across multiple time zones around the globe, right? Start small, start with a team, start with a business unit, start with a division, prove that the model works And then scale it up from there. And 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 that's the key, right? And because I tell all my students in class, the higher up you go in an organization, the more of the language of numbers you have to be an expert in. And 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 look, I had to do this too because when I had these conversations, the biggest pushback was the either the business leader or the CFO in charge of the purse strings, and that was the big question. Like it, it's this doesn't seem like is financially viable for us because the way they looked at it was wrong. Instead of looking at what is the output of the employee, they looked at what is the output of the employee by the hour don't Mm -hmm. focus on the time focus on the output and everything else is going to fall in place and now that you mentioned chick-fil-a there jordan i gotta tell you i have it in me i have and i don't have any scientific data to back this up but every dang sunday that comes along i'm like i have a hankering for chick-fil-a and i can't do it but i have it in my head i'm gonna go full force on monday morning and i want to know what would their Monday morning sales look like in comparison if they didn't have the day off on Sunday? It's <laughs> a good question, right? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Oh, it, just it makes does. You want it a little bit more, especially yeah. my heart with the cholesterol. So I get you. Right, so look, okay, so look, we can talk about this all day, Jordan. I mean, we can. Um, now, here's what I want to do, right? I want to I want to put out there if anybody's out there listening they can call Jordan they can call me because you and I when it comes to this we we generally do the same thing and then people are probably wondering why it's that's competition now I don't see you as competition uh, because I think I like to see people who are working in my same space to win. I want them to win, right? And the reason I wanted to talk to you about this is because you've been at the forefront for this for a while. Now you work for who? Curriculum? 
Curium. Curium. See, I'm glad I asked. <laughs> I got school tonight, and I have a curriculum to uh, to tighten up. <laughs> you're, you're just focused on that. Yeah, yeah. So the company's called Curium Solutions, and and we've been doing this type of work for over 15 years. Mm. It's just that until recently, when we told employers, "Hey, look, we can save you 20 percent," you know, in terms of productivity. Their first thought was, "Great, that means I can assign 20 percent more work to my staff." <laughs> Whereas now that conversation is shifting to say, how can we how can we use that as a talent attraction and retention tool, man? And let me tell you something right now for I know right now the conversation is all around layoffs. But when the pendulum eventually swings and organizations are starting to look at, you know, how can we entice talent? How can we attract the best and the brightest? Man, there's nothing like being able to tell them they get a four day, 32 hour work week with zero reduction in pay that's important right it's not it's not 32 hours of pay it's a 40 hour pay on 32 hours a week that is a benefit that is rivaled by nothing right that's that's, that's second to none right i i see i see your two weeks of pto and i raise you a three-day weekend every week right what are they giving you a pizza party with pepperoni ha (laughs) here's what we got Wait, wait, you guys get pepperoni? We can't afford pepperoni? <laughs> like, no, pepperoni are for winners. <laughs> that's, that's what the pepperoni is for. What's that? That's Alec Baldwin, right? Pepperoni's yeah, yeah. for closers, well, right? The, the, yeah. Gary Glenn Ross. The coffee. What was it? The coffee? Coffee's for Put closers. Put that coffee yeah. down. That's such a great movie. <laughs> so, so on that note real quick, I just want to chime in with this, right? This is interesting because part of what the researchers have studied is how much would it actually cost someone from a pay standpoint to go back to working in a five-day-a-week organization once they've had a taste of the four-day week? Ah. And, and the value of a shorter working week to employees is so powerful that they say that about 45% of them say they would require a pay increase of 25% or more to go back to a regular schedule. So, so that's, that's about half, about half of respondents right? 45% said they would need a pay increase of 25% or more to go back to a five-day schedule. And 14% of the respondents said there was literally no amount of money that could convince them to go back to a five-day work week. So for companies particularly that say, look, you know, we're a non-for-profit or we're, we're, you know, bootstrap startup that's got limited funds. I can't be out here paying people six-figure salaries. You know, I can't be paying 20% above market to attract and retain employees. A way that you can attract and retain great employees, really qualified, high-level talent without having to pay 20 or 30 or 40% more than your competitors is potentially to explore the option of a shorter work week. Yeah. Now, here I am, Mr. Cynical here, right? Looking at the opposite side of the coin. If I was a salty recruiter who's about five years from retirement looking at somebody's resume, and I know that sentiment, and I'm like, oh, God, this person's coming from Curium. They love the four-day work week. I'm not even going to call that person because I can't even compete with that. Wouldn't that be like a double-edged sword that might might hinder somebody's recruitment efforts or no? I don't think so. You know, okay. I, I think it's just like it's just like any other assumption that recruiters make when they look at a resume, right? You see someone that's done primarily contracting work or primarily worked part time or took a stint off to, you know, to to be at home or or whatever, right? There's there's always going to be recruiters out there that make assumptions based on the information that's that's given to them. And I'm not even saying that all those assumptions are necessarily necessarily wrong or bad. 
But the reality is you don't know until you talk to somebody what their priorities yeah, are. Yeah. The fact, though, is that the data says that more than half of people would be expecting more money if, if they're looking at going back to a five-day work week. And that's not too dissimilar from the conversation, again, that we're seeing around remote work, right? I, I, I see recruiters all the time that, that say, you know, some version of someone I know posted about this the other day. They say some version of, you know, three, four years ago, the first question that people asked me was, how much does the job pay and is there room for growth? Now, what's the first thing people ask a recruiter? Can I work from home? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Can I work from right? home? Yeah. yeah. So, so we're not there yet with, with a shorter work yeah. week. It's not been widely adopted enough that people are leading with that as something that they're looking for. But my thought is, if you want to be a company that's ahead of the game, right, get get on the train now. Start exploring this now. Start adopting this now so that when it does, because I think it will eventually become common, you're already ahead of the game. You're not you're not behind the pack. You're leading the pack. <sighs> and, and for anybody who says, yeah, I just, I just don't see it, Jordan, right? Let's not forget that until the 1940s, a six-day work week was the law of the land, right? The five-day, 40-hour work week that we know and love to hate today didn't come into effect until the Fair Labor Standards Act, which was what came into came into full effect in the 1940s. Wasn't that Ford? Henry Ford that started that? That was in the early 1900s, wasn't it? So Henry Ford was the first one that, that was popularized with doing it within a business, right? So yeah. he, he took his factories and moved to the five-day, 40-hour yeah. work week. Yeah. But it wasn't really codified into law until the 1940s, at least in the United States. So, so just remember, right, that if, if it seems like, oh, that's that's crazy, that's never going to happen, right? Well, if we could take a time machine back to the 1940s and ask people, hey, or let's, let's take it back to the 1930s, right, a decade earlier, hey, do you guys think a five-day, 40-hour work week is going to catch on anytime soon? You'd probably have some <laughs> naysayers. You'd probably have people at factories looking around going, there's no way we can be just as productive if we're working less time in a week, right? I mean, you're right. And if I was that employee, I'm like, you got a time machine and you came at me to ask me this crap. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you're using it for? (laughs) Roger that. Right. Don't you want the lottery numbers? Right, right. I mean, come on. Go to back 2010 and buy 500 Bitcoins. I mean, what's wrong with you? I mean, (laughs) no. so – no, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, you, know, you brought up Bitcoin, so I won't get into that. But the other big topic of conversation right now is around AI, right? And, ah. and so there's so much that's unknown about AI and where it's going to go and how it's going to evolve and what it's going to look like. But I think it's at least a fair assumption to say that it has the potential to radically change the way that we work. And I'm not talking about replacing employees with AI, right? I'm not talking about getting rid of staff. I want to be really clear about that. I'm talking about how can we use AI to eliminate some of this waste I was talking about earlier, to do our work more efficiently, to spend more time and effort on the things that actually matter, that actually drive value, that actually we were hired to do for the organization instead of all the, you know, trivial administrative stuff that that takes up our day a lot of the time that we can now push out to AI. So thinking about that and kind of being on this precipice of of greater AI adoption, I think that's just one of the factors that makes it all the more likely that we will see more and more companies start to shift towards some version of a shorter work week. And again, that doesn't just mean a four-day week. It could mean shorter work days, five days a week, it could mean uh, what we've seen already adopted by some organizations, which is uh, working nine days every two weeks or a nine-day fortnight. Ah, 72-hour right? pay period. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Got it. Right? All right. 
it, there, there's different variations of this. So just being open-minded to that idea and saying, look, do I, do I want to be ahead of this or am I going to be playing catch up down the road? I love how you said that AI has the potential. <laughs> Jordan, it's, yeah, you was being really generous. It's, it doesn't have the potential. It is going to be a thing. Three things, three things that I think is going to completely disrupt how we see employment the way we see it today. The first one, you've already mentioned it, and it's the, uh, it's the um, uh, working from home. Working from home, the ability to work from home, let me just say it that way, because not necessarily it's the, the flexibility piece people like, because not everybody likes to work from home, right? right. So the flex, the availability of flex, a flexible work arrangement is going to be just as common as an HMO 20 years ago, mm. right? And if this notion still continues, because I agree with you, it's AI is going to be instrumental. AI has already changed the way we work. It already changed it, and it's not even a year old. Chat, mm-hmm. well, Chat GPT AI is, is it's 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 over a year old, obviously. Yeah. But I'm talking about in in particular Chat GPT, and I agree with you that the more we get to know how AI helps, it's a double edged sword. But the more we get to know how it helps, the more efficient you're going to be, and the more you're able to prove your business case, whatever your business case is in any organization, that this is viable to you. Remember, folks, if you want to convince people at the higher ups, you have to attach a value to it. You need a number to it. Because that is the only, if you are working for a for-profit organization, at the end of every month, the only question people are asking is, are we in the black or are we in the red? That's it. Mm -hmm. And you want to change that red to black. That's what you want to do. So, folks, pay attention to AI. Pay attention to this four-day work week. I got to work hard on this, Jordan. I got to stop calling it an uncompressed work week. That gives the wrong impression. It gives the wrong impression. So it, do, it does. And that's, and that's why we try to, as much as we can talk about work time reduction and a shorter work week. Cause it's not even always going to be a four day week. That's, that's again, what kind of get, eh, gets picked eh. up most in the media, but it can look like lots of different things. What we're really talking about is how do we do the same or better work in less time? Yep. That's right. <laughs> And we can do it, right? And the best way for me to tell you this is how we can do it. Everybody listening right now, go, go, once you're done listening, go back to your job description, go in the bottom, take a look at the last time that was revised, right? Not only that, because sometimes it's copy and paste 80% of the time, right? I guarantee you can go into your job description and automate something in there with some kind of tools today. Half of these job descriptions out there were created before social media was the thing. Believe me, folks. <laughs> Believe me. Update your job descriptions. Be honest in what you can do, right? Because you don't just want to... Because a lot of HR people, they just tell the employee, hey, create your own job description. If you do that, especially if they feel you know, some kind of way, the thing is going to be 20 pages long. No. <laughs> Don't do that, right? But I guess what we're saying is that there's a lot that goes into it. And Jordan, again, we could talk about this all day. I'm going to close it with that note. How can people reach you to have this conversation more detailed at their organization? Yeah, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me Jordan George uh, or Ask Jordan George on. I'm not really on Twitter anymore or X or whatever it is we're calling it. Um, you know, but the bird. but you, the bird. yeah, yeah. I think you can you can still technically have an account there, but yeah, find me on LinkedIn, Jordan George, um, or AskJordanGeorge.com is another way to get a hold of me as well. Roger that. All right, Jordan, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it, folks. Have a good one. Drive safe. Good night. 
Well, folks, that is our time. And remember, remember the HR Talk handle on all the social medias. That's going to go away on on August 11th. Everything is going to be the HR Talk podcast is now going to be a hashtag. Hashtag HR Talk podcast. That's going to be living under the Biasco learning handle. So, folks, that said, that's our time. Thank you very much. Go to Biasco.com and follow us on every social angle we have out there. Biasco, Biasco Learn. Give us a like. Let us know what you think. Talk to you next week.